engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. It's official. I'm tired of being cold. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here at Atlanta's Evening News. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Uh, we got to cover this story out of the gate. It, it's a big one, and we're going to bring you ongoing coverage of this. Jeff Jafari from Prad Group uh, has been charged with bribery, witness tampering, tax evasion. Uh, this is the Atlanta City Hall corruption scandal. It's a 51-count indictment. Prosecutors allege Jafari made multiple payments to Adam Smith, the chief procurement officer in Atlanta City Hall, up until Smith's arrest in early 2017. In fact, they've got undercover audio, among other things. Uh, Jafari's company gave uh, got lots of work from Atlanta and gave lots of money to politicians, including Keisha Lance Bottoms and Kasim Reed. Now, why is this relevant and why are we starting the subject here? Well, there is legislation pending in the state legislature to take control of Two Dead Mayors Airport, uh, Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport in Atlanta. And there are groups around the city that are suddenly becoming very vocal, and some groups outside the city say, no, 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 uh, we don't want you to do this. And it sounds very much like a politically coordinated effort. Uh, now, I realize that, that the city of Atlanta is opposed to giving up control of the airport. I, I totally get that. But these outside groups that have never spoken up before that are that are suddenly rising up, say, no, 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 bad idea. Yeah, I guess you could say they're actually concerned, but it certainly is suspicious and seems like a, a paid political operation. Now we've got this, uh, that contractors were getting huge um, payments uh, for getting huge contracts from the city after making lots of payments and campaign donations. I just went to the Prad Group's website. Uh, Prad Group is where this guy was executive vice president. And I, I just got on the, the Prad Group's website. And when it first loads, I'm going to refresh the screen here. When it first loads, you see what? A picture of the atrium at Hartsfield Jackson Atlanta International Airport. When you click on the projects tab, the very first link is aviation. Now let's let the aviation tab work. Um, Prad Group has extensive project experience in new construction and addition and modifications to existing facilities, including runways, taxis, road infrastructure, paving and lighting, parking facilities, uh, aviation experience. Um, big bullet point. Hartsfield Jackson Atlanta International Airport, uh, 1994 to 1997. Design of three new stands on Concourse D. Design of Burger King. Design Atlanta Inter Airlines Crown Rooms. Small food stands. Clothing General Store. New stands on Concourse A. Uh, design of six major bars and restaurants for Concourse A, B, C, and D. There's a link to a complete list. And then underneath it's got photos. Hartsfield Jackson International Airport. Hartsfield Center. Hartsfield Hartsfield Jackson Atlanta International Airport Consolidated Rental Car Facility, Hartsfield Jackson Atlanta International Airport Design Support Services, Hartsfield Jackson Atlanta International Airport Concessions, Hartsfield Jackson Atlanta International Airport Security Screening Checkpoint, on and on and on. They got four more of pictures and of profiles of work the Prad Group has done at the airport. Uh, and again, this comes after Executive Vice President of the Prad Group, uh, Jeff Jafari, has been charged with 51-count indictment, prosecutors alleging that Jafari made multiple payments to the Chief Procurement Officer of the City of Atlanta, Adam Smith. And in exchange, they got all sorts of things. Um, this is just... Hmm, maybe 
we're seeing a reason why this airport needs to be in state control. Now, that's not to say that the state of Georgia is immune from corruption, but I thought it was very interesting when Jim Galloway at the AJC um, wrote an article that basically, uh, are we trading one level of corruption for another? Um, going from the city to the state, you're never going to weed out all corruption in government. But it was very interesting. The juxtaposition and contrast between the state-level corruption cited by Galloway and the AJC and city corruption, um, the state corruption is individuals who were found out doing things individually. It wasn't boards. It wasn't multi-member board corruption. The problem with the structure of the of the Hartsfield-Jackson Two-Dead Mayors International Airport is that the mayor of Atlanta controls it all. The mayor of Atlanta picks the procurement officer. The mayor of Atlanta really sets the board for the airport. The mayor of Atlanta does all these things. So the mayor puts in the procurement officer who puts in other people who helps get the contracts and the corruption process flows very freely with a board in charge by the state as designed by Burt Jones's legislation. Uh, you would have various checks on the system that don't exist currently. Now that's not to say that Atlanta couldn't put them in, but the problem is that Atlanta has been doing this for decades now and has never wanted to put in these checks because too many mayors have benefited over time by being able to hand out perks and contracts and things like that. And now we're seeing a corruption scandal in the city of Atlanta and the airport authority would largely under mine uh, the ability for an individual to have enough power to engage one-on-one -on -one in corruption. So I hope the legislature will consider this. It's very timely considering the news today of this indictment. This is a really big deal. This is a huge company that does lots of projects and its former executive vice president is being arrested and indicted on 51 counts involving the corruption scheme in the city of Atlanta. All of us should take notice of this. Now, we have other things to talk about as well today. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. You should know that the House of Representatives in Georgia is considering a fetal heartbeat measure. The fetal heartbeat measure would prohibit abortions in the state with some exceptions, uh, rape, incest, life of the mother, uh, things like that, but would otherwise prohibit abortion once a heartbeat is detected. Once you can detect that this child is developing and has a heart of its own and is not dependent on the blood flow of its mother for its heartbeat, abortion would be prohibited. A lot of Americans support this, by the way. The Speaker of the House is killing the legislation. Uh, I'm told now by certain members of the House and outside groups, the Speaker was able to convince six members of the House representatives, six Republicans, to fail to show up so that this could not get a hearing and could not get a vote in committee. Uh, so your Republican representatives in the House, in addition to not getting rid of Dave Rawson, by the way, I, I got an email from someone who actually went up to Blue Ridge and looked into the legislative continuances of, of the speaker. I have passed it along to the investigative reporter of the AJC because it's very, very interesting. Uh, one, apparently, if I'm reading this right, the speaker said he could he could have a case. The judge actually rearranged calendar to make the case happen, and then the speaker said, nope, nope, my bad, can't do it. Um, so, interesting. I have passed that along to an AJC reporter to continue to dig in. So you got the speaker killing fetal heartbeat in the Senate. I'm now told, and this is actually pretty big news, I think. This this is big news and hasn't been fully reported, uh, but I'm told from people who would know, 
people who confirm it for me, senior leadership in the state Senate, that Mike Dugan, the uh, Senate majority leader, actually said he had city hall business that kept him from being able to vote on SB 173. That's the uh, education scholarship accounts. Uh, But then he actually just took a walk. He didn't want to vote no, but he didn't want to vote yes. So he made sure not to be there to ensure that the legislation couldn't pass. Um, But it would have looked bad for the Senate Republican leader to vote against school reform, so he walked. Uh, Same with Jeff Mullis, I'm told. Jeff Mullis uh, did his best to avoid being there. And Brandon Beach as well. Uh, you got to have four votes in the state Senate. Brandon Beach from Alpharetta refused to vote on education choice. Now, his his excuse is actually fairly laughable. He says that his wife works for a private school, so it's a conflict of interest. Seriously? Basically, everyone in the state Senate whose kid goes to public school, who the Democrats say could be impacted by this, that they should conflict themselves out and not vote if Brandon Beach's argument was they. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. Uh, Beach just doesn't want to come out against it because the people in Alpharetta support this sort of thing. So the people in Alpharetta need to understand that Brandon Beach, their state senator, walked out on this. Uh, didn't want to have anything to do with it. I, now, I believe, if I understand right, he also wants to run for Congress, if I understand this right. So the people in Alpharetta probably need to pay attention to that. By the way, so I got I was talking to Scott Slade about Jeff Mullis uh, from Chickamauga uh, walking out so he didn't have to vote on this legislation. And someone sent me a nasty note saying I was mispronouncing it. I'm pronouncing it Chickamauga. I'm sorry if you don't like it. Um, so Mike Dugan, the Senate Majority Leader, walks out. You basically have leadership. Republican leaders in the Senate walking out on school choice. Now, one of the interesting things I think is very funny on this legislation, for those who weren't here yesterday, this is Senate Bill 173. Senate Bill 173 would create an educational scholarship account so that people who are 200% below the poverty line or have kids with special needs would be able to send their kids to schools that uh, would help them. So you have a kid who's blind or deaf. Uh, They would be able to redirect the state tax dollars. You know, every child in a public school has money that flows to the local public school from the state for that child. And when that child moves to a different school, the state redirects the money to the new school. And all the educational scholarship account would do would be to direct that money into an account so the child could then go into a private or special needs, special education program school uh, to better accommodate their needs. This would only impact about 10,000 people overall. But what's so funny about this is the Democrats are using arguments saying that this would be hugely financially detrimental to the state of Georgia. The sponsor of the legislation, Greg Dozal, went to the floor of the Senate the other day and read the Democrats' objections from 2007 when the Republicans were expanding the Educational Opportunity Scholarship. That's where you can donate money to a private program that helps then pay for kids to go into private schools. The Democrats made the exact same arguments in 2007 about that fund that they're now making about this fund. All of their scare scenarios failed to pan out. All of them failed to pan out, every single one of their scenarios. And yet they're making the same arguments again. And this time they've got Republicans walking out of the state Senate. Lindsey Tippins voted no. Ellis Black voted no. Tyler Harper voted no. Jack Hill voted no. Greg Kirk voted no. Butch Miller voted no. And then you got Jeff Mullis and Brandon Beach and Mike Dugan actually walking out. So they don't even have to they, they don't even have to vote. Um, it, it's just, it's fascinating also to see Butch Miller. W- will there be consequences, by the way, 
because this is a hugely free markets piece of legislation. It allows parents to get their kids the best schooling they can get. It's supported by minority parents. It's supported by soccer moms. It's supported by the Republican base, and it's the Republican leadership in the Senate that wasn't even brave enough to vote no, other than Butch Miller. He voted no, but the others weren't even brave enough to vote no. They just wanted it killed without their fingerprints being on it. At some point, we do need to have a heart-to-heart discussion and ask ourselves a question. The Republicans control the state legislature. If they're not willing to pass Republican-supported free market and school reform measures, why not just let the Democrats take it over? I know, I know, you, you don't want the Democrats in charge. But if you're not getting anything from the Republicans, and you're not, I mean, you're not getting school choice reform, you're not getting the Tebow bill, you're not getting the fetal heartbeat bill, you're not getting the RIFRA bill, you're not getting any sort of free market school choice reforms, you're not getting any conservative social policy legislation, you're not getting any gun legislation, you're, you're not getting any of these things out of the, your Republicans in the state legislature. Uh, at some point, it becomes a little bit hard for me to say, hey, they're better than the Democrats when they're just doing the Democrats bidding I mean, the Democrats have become the puppet masters of Republicans in the legislature. If you look real close, you might see the hands of some of the Democratic leaders up the backsides of the Republican leaders, just like the Muppets. So just a quick pause here, word for our sponsors. Uh, And you know, this one, real world situation, I woke up Saturday morning and I had a bunch of text messages from Twitter, someone trying to change my password. Now, they all uh, connect me through my cell phone and uh, using two-factor authentication. But man, uh, you got to worry about cyber crimes these days and people trying to steal your passwords, your credit card details. A buddy of mine went to China a while back and needed a VPN service because the Chinese are really, really snoopy. And he used ExpressVPN. And, you know, you can protect yourself from cyber criminals and Chinese snoops by using ExpressVPN. It secures and makes anonymous your internet browsing by encrypting your data. It hides your public IP address. It's got easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of your computer, your phone, your tablet. Turning on ExpressVPN protection only takes a click. And it's for less than $7 a month that you can get the same ExpressVPN protection that I have recommended to so many people. It's the rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar. comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So protect yourself online today. Find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash Eric. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Eric for three months free with a one-year package. And remember, my name is E-R-I-C-K. Go to expressvpn.com slash Eric to learn more. Hello again. The phone number here, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. To the phones we go, Justin from Lexington, you're up first. Welcome. Uh, Hey, Eric. Hey. Can you hear me? Yep. Um... I wanted to ask you about 30, uh, third-party uh, voting. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's going to be a big uh, thing in 2020? Is it going to be a viable option? Uh, you know, I don't think it's going to be. I, I'm actually kind of surprised that the Republicans here in Georgia have not put the Green ballot. I'm sorry, the Green Party on the ballot. Uh, you know, uh, Tom Murphy, the old uh, Democratic Speaker of the House, long-term Speaker of the House in Georgia, 
put the Libertarian Party on the ballot uh, as a way to hurt Republicans. Uh, and, and the Libertarians over time actually somewhat helped um, because they were able to force runoffs. I'm kind of surprised the Republicans haven't done that with the Green Party in the state and sanctioned them. It, it, Georgia makes it very, very tough for ballot access and nationwide as well. A, a lot of states make it very tough for third parties. The Democrats and Republicans collaborate together in most cases to ensure third parties can't come on the on the ballot. You take signature efforts to do that. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see more and more signature efforts. Both parties, frankly, are beginning to alienate members of their base. And if you can't get a third party, I expect we'll see more and more independents running if they can raise the money to do it. When we come back, we got to shift gears to national issues. have the immigration battle heating up in Washington, D.C., and the border wall and the emergency. Uh, Kristen Nielsen, the Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, was in uh, in the Capitol today. But there was also this. I've got audio from that we'll get to. But there's also this. The Democrats and the House of Representatives now want to investigate the Georgia election. I don't know if you heard Stacey Abrams apparently mulling whether or not she wants to run for president in 2020. No, I'm not kidding you. Um, there are actually reports out she's considered. I don't think she's going to do that. Um, you know, it, it, as much as I disagree with her policy positions, she she's not a dumb person. And I think she's smart enough to know that she probably is not uh, where she needs to be to run for president. Uh, she may be a cause celeb of the Democrats, but they would throw her under the bus pretty quickly if she ran for president. She wants to run against David Perdue, I suspect, or run again against uh, Brian Kemp. I got to tell you, these Republicans in the state legislature, the way they're sabotaging the Kemp agenda, it's almost like they want a Democrat in charge. Uh, killing fetal heartbeat, killing school choice, uh, killing the, the educational scholarship. Um, just amazing to watch the Republicans sabotaging Brian Kemp's agenda and they watching the speaker of the house sabotaging it watching the senate leader sabotage it just it's it's outrageous republicans should be appalled in the state of georgia but nonetheless uh one of the things that's going to be investigated in washington is the georgia election elijah cummings uh who interviewed uh, michael cohen last week now wants to interview people from georgia about our election jamie dupree sent me this audio from elijah Cummings earlier today the letters i think no, i'm not trying to be smart I think the, the letter speaks for itself. Uh, we're just trying to figure out, um, you know, we, we really want to take a, we, we, we are concerned that it has been, become normal to suppress the vote in a democracy. And we want to know how many ballots, how many people, for example, had to file provisional balance. How do you, what's this thing about, what is it, voter, um, voter match? Right. It's going to match up the name, the signature. <coughs> we want to know more about that. We want to know more about how many were balanced. I got you. We want to know more about how many ballots were left on the floor of the polling place that never got even counted. We are headed, again, we are headed down a road 
where our democracy is slipping into darkness. I'm going to fall asleep if I keep listening to him. <laughs> well, he, very soft-spoken, but you get the gist here. Um, they are convinced, Democrats are convinced that there is mass voter suppression. Uh, and you know there's not, there, there actually isn't any evidence of it. There's no evidence of a bunch of voter fraud either. I, I know, I know, yeah, I know. Um, yes, I, I see. I'm more worried about voter fraud than voter suppression. Um, and the reason that I am, even though there there aren't tons of cases of any any more than there are cases of voter suppression, uh, but the reason voter suppression gets all the attention is because the media is a bunch of Democrats and they pay attention to the Democrats. They're convinced the Republicans are a bunch of racists trying to, to trying to stop white people from voting, even though there's no evidence of it. But the Democrats have bought it, hook, line, and sinker. They believe it. Um, there actually is no. There was a great Ross Douthat piece in the New York Times a while back, um, only about two weeks ago, about how you know Republicans should give up some of this stuff, not voter ID per se, uh, but some of their claims on voter fraud, um, because there really isn't any that would affect any races, and there's no voter suppression out there. Get the Democrats to uh, give that up as well, and it, it would force the Democrats to give up that argument. Um, that the Republicans were suppressing the vote. Right now, all of the ballot access issues on the right allow the Democrats to make this argument, allow the Democrats to keep uh, firing the flames of people who are convinced Republicans are trying to shut down democracy. In fact, the data in Georgia shows that's not the case at all. Uh, the number of black people who vote in Georgia has gone up, uh, outpacing white voters and Hispanic voters in the state. Uh, black voters turned out in mass and got Stacey Abrams very, very close. The problem here, though, is that the Democrats want to continue to undermine the election. Chris Saliza, the idiot from CNN, uh, has a piece out saying that uh, Donald Trump is going to, before it even happens, before the election begins, Donald Trump's going to be in casting doubts on the 2020 election. This is the same sort of stuff Chris Elizabeth was writing in 2016, that Donald Trump was going to cast doubts on the election. You know who's casting doubts on the election? The Democrats. For God's sakes, they had a hearing with Michael Cohen last week to suggest that the Russians stole the election. And even Michael Cohen was like, I don't know what you're talking about, buddy. I mean, the Democrats are, you had the, the Democrats in, in Alabama this past weekend for Selma saying, oh, Stacey Abrams, she should be the governor of Georgia. They tell us all the time Republicans are going to undermine the election. And then after the election's over and the Democrats lose, they're the ones who undermine it. The media never holds them accountable for it. It's just kind of what happens. I, I think most Americans kind of get this now that people on the right don't get a fair hearing in the press. So Ben Dominich from The Federalist makes a very interesting point. A majority of Americans in this country consider themselves pro-life. In fact, a majority of women in this country want restrictions on abortion, which makes it so fascinating, by the way, that Republicans in Georgia are refusing to even consider pro-life legislation. They're so scared of losing women. And yet uh, the Gallup poll, the Pew poll, the NBC News, Wall Street Journal poll, the ABC, Washington Post poll, uh, the CBS poll, uh, the, the, the CNN opinion dynamics poll, or no, it's Fox News opinion dynamics, uh, CNN, all of these polling companies have found over and over that women are actually extremely pro-life. It's not even a plurality. It's a majority of women are pro-life. A majority of women uh, are opposed to third trimester abortions. A majority of women believe second trimester abortions and first trimester abortions should have restrictions on them. And yet the Republicans in Georgia won't even consider pro-life legislation because they're scared of offending women. They've bought a media narrative. uh, And the reason I say a media narrative is the polling also shows that members of the media tend to be to the left of the American public on this issue. Essentially, you've got members of the media in a bubble. 
It's like this Fox stuff. I, I Let me just spend a, a minute on Fox. You know, there's a story out from Jane Mayer, the fabulist from the New York Times, who just just she's the one who ran with the um, Brett Kavanaugh story of the woman who ultimately the whole story was nonsense. And but Mayer ran with it. She believes it. she she believed uh, the stuff about Clarence Thomas. She was trying to right wrong. She's a, a liberal activist. She's mischaracterized the Cokeson stories, the uh, Koch brothers, all sorts of stuff. She's a a partisan activist who masquerades as a journalist. And now she's got a story out about Fox, a lot of it uh, anonymous sources. She even refers to Jen Rubin, the liberal at The Washington Post, as a conservative. So you can you know right there you're getting into a fable. And what I find super fascinating about all of it is the members of the media who are fanning the flames of this say, look, look, Jane Mayer says this. The New York, the New Yorker says this. In fact, I saw CNN today now running an op-ed from someone who says uh, the the relationship between Fox News and the president is unique. No other president has had this. And I thought to myself today, you know, they're right. The relationship between Fox News and the president is unique. No other president has had this. Other presidents, particularly the last president, had this sort of relationship with all the other networks except Fox. It's it's actually very unique for a president to only have one network uh, treating him favorably. Usually, I mean, you got MSNBC, you got CNN fawning all over Barack Obama. And I pointed this out on social media and, and Democrats went nuts over this. I can't believe you're saying this is a lie. This is beneath even you, Erickson. <laughs> I love it when when some progressive activist says, this is beneath you, <laughs> or you're better than this. Don't tell me I'm better than this. What it means is you don't like it, and you're upset that you follow me on social media. So you wish I wouldn't upset you on social media. That's, that's what you're really saying. But you know, you got Jim Scudo at CNN, who's an anchor. He worked for Barack Obama. You had Jay Carney, who was the senior political correspondent for Time, who went to work for Barack Obama. You had Shyla Murray from the Washington Post. She went to work for Joe Biden. Her husband, Neil King, was at the Wall Street Journal. He went to work for, uh, whatchamadiggy, um, Fusion GPS, the left-wing partisan assault group that, that came up with the Christopher Steele uh, opposition research. You got all these liberals who flowed in and out of Democratic circles, and they're outraged by Fox. They're not actually outraged by Fox that Fox is conservative per se. They're outraged that Fox is that Fox's coverage shows just how much more liberal they are. I don't dispute that Fox and the president have some sort of unique relationship. For God's sake, I was employed there for five years. When I said I couldn't vote for the president of the United States, the, my number of hits on TV went to zero unless I would come on and agree to say something bad about the Democrats. They didn't want me on. I, I totally get it about Fox. But let's not pretend that doesn't happen at the other networks. It's just they're in the tank for the Democrats. All of the outrage at Fox is because Fox being for the president exposes the others as partisan hacks. And also, Fox has better ratings than they do, so they're jealous. The phone number here, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Let's go to Daniel from Atlanta. Welcome, Daniel. How are you, Eric? Good. How are you? Not bad at all. You know, I was listening to you talk about voter suppression and voter fraud. I'm an African-American conservative, and I've been voting for 40 years. And I have never had my vote stopped. I've shown them my ID. I know my social security number. I know the year and date that I was born, and I voted. And I've been doing that for 40 years. I voted for Jimmy Carter first, and since then I voted for Reagan, 
both Bushes, every every Republican that has run. And nobody you're a brave man admitting you voted for Jimmy Carter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I was right out of high school and, and he's the first one I voted. Oh, for. yeah. He, he was. And, he was, Yeah, I get it. Listen, uh, you're right. Voter suppression is a myth, uh, but it's one that Democrats use to fundraise off of, um, particularly in the black community, because most uh, black Americans still vote Democrat. Um, and so they fundraise off of it. They scare people. There is no proof of voter suppression. In fact, again, the data in Georgia shows, if anything, um, black voters have been surging, surpassing white voters in the state. And the Democrats know this, but they can't fundraise off of saying, hey, the Republicans are making it easy for you to go vote. They got to say something. And the media, of course, is Democrats, so they believe it. Now, when we come back, we got to shift gears. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has opened her mouth again. And we do need to talk about the issue of the trans athletes in the Olympics. I'm kind of bummed about the Alex Trebek news. Uh, sad. Uh, put him on your prayer list. Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here at Atlanta's Evening News. The phone number is 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Alex Trebek, stage four pancreatic cancer. My goodness gracious. And, and here I was going to depress you all. <laughs> I, I actually, I, I really do want to talk about something just, just for a few minutes. Uh, if you'll bear with me uh, for just a moment, uh, I need to unburden myself of nothing else. But but it is it's it's an interesting interesting topic, I think, uh, largely because there is no political cure. We've we've reached a point in the country where everyone expects political cures for things. Everyone expects that politicians in Washington will. Um, provide cures for things, and there is a, a growing issue in the country for which there is no political cure. And Tim Carney from the Washington Examiner points this out, and he's written a book about what's going on in the American heartland. The, the issue here is that the number of deaths for uh, suicide, drugs, and alcohol are at an all-time high in this country now. The number of suicides in this country have gone up fairly dramatically in the past number of years. And it, people are now starting to say there's there's something going on. And, of course, the immediate reaction is, what's Washington going to do about it? You know, like the opioid crisis, what's Washington going to do about it? It's always what's Washington going to do about it. But that's kind of a, a symptom of the problem that we have. If we're honest about it, this this reliance on Washington to do things, to to cure things, to solve social ills, this reliance on the, the idea that Washington, D.C. is somehow going to make us safe. Washington, D.C. is somehow going to reduce the suicide rate in uh, Vienna, Georgia, as if that's going to happen. Most of the people in Washington, D.C. can't even pronounce Vienna, Georgia. 
So, yes, uh, this past year, Axios has the story. Uh, deaths by suicide, drugs, and alcohol are at all-time highs uh, last year. The three epidemics are on track to kill 1.6 million Americans by 2025, which is, I mean, frankly, in a nation of 350 million people, um, it's not the largest cause of death in the country, but it's staggering, 1.6 million people. Drug, suicide, and alcohol. Uh, drugs are the largest. Suicide now number two. Alcohol now number three. The issue, and, and I think Tim Carney in his book. Uh, Tim, so Tim Carney is a reporter uh, and writer with the Washington Examiner. He's now a commentary editor, I guess. Also a visiting fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. He's got a new book out called Alienated America. And he makes a point about the suffering of the middle class, the opioid crisis, the rise of suicides, all these things uh, are rooted in the collapse of local communities. And there is something to be said for that. And it's, it's something I've been talking to my kids about a lot. My kids are growing up in a generation where they substitute text messaging and interaction over an Xbox or a PlayStation with actual human interaction. They are interacting with their friends through text messages, through sharing of memes and GIFs, and through playing on an Xbox. And that's actually not healthy, and there is all sorts of data out there to show this isn't some transitional thing in the American psyche. You know, there are some things people think are are bad, and then they realize that, no, it's just this generation didn't have X, and so it pre presumed X was bad, but X isn't bad. Uh, no, there's actually uh, ample data out there to show that as people become more and more lonely and isolated, uh, the rates of drug use, alcohol use, and suicide all go up. But what the data also shows, and, and this be very mindful of this, uh, the data also shows that uh, text messaging and interaction with people through digital means is actually still loneliness. And that's kind of profound because I interact on a daily basis with scores of people who text me or call me on the phone. And I feel like I can't get a break from people. I want a break from people. Uh, today, and my apologies to, there, there are a number of people in Atlanta dealing with General Assembly who have called me today to let me know on stuff that's going on. I haven't talked to any of them today. And I haven't talked to any of them today because my wife has been so sick since Saturday I have been doing the laundry, doing the cooking, taking the kids to school, staying up late to get my work done, uh, taking my wife to the doctor, on and on and on it goes. Uh, I've been busy with family life, and so I hadn't wanted to return these phone calls. And I, I did start thinking about it, the number of times that I interact with people on a regular basis through text message, and I rarely actually come into contact with people outside my family. I rarely do anymore unless I go to church, and we didn't even go to church this weekend. We've been bad about going to church because we've been traveling. I've been traveling. The kids have been sick. My wife's been sick. I don't interact with people. i got go to go to, into the office. If I'm not recording from the bunker or doing the show from the bunker, I've got to go into the office just to have human interaction, and then all i got is Charlie, and, and that's no substitute for real people. <laughs> But you know what I mean? I mean, we, we are all isolated more and more, uh, and it's not healthy, and it's starting to show in statistics for mortality in this country. It It's a role that churches have to fill. It's a role charities have to fill, but it's a role you got to fill as well. Now, we are also put upon these days. Uh, so many people can interact with us through digital means, through email, through text messaging and whatnot. We presume that we're interacting with people, and we're really not. 
I'm always taken aback by uh, when you read the Genesis account of creation in Genesis 1 and 2, uh, the reason that God decides to create uh, Eve is so that Adam isn't alone, that it's not good for man to be alone, God says. And yet we have ensured more and more that we are alone, even though we don't think we're alone. In fact, we've structured the world now so that we actually don't think we're alone when we are alone. We, we think the text message is the interaction, but it's, it's actually not the same. And there's ample evidence for that. Uh, now, the, the cure of this is you got to force yourself to get out of the, the shell. You got to uh, break bread around your table. You got to have people over. You got to relearn to cook. You got to uh, have a, put a pot of soup on, bring people over to your house or go to someone else's house. You got to get involved in a charity. You got to get involved in a church, something. People who are involved in civic institutions in the country, particularly, by the way, people who are involved in churches, people who are involved in churches tend to outlive everyone else. Uh, people who are involved in civic charitable institutions tend to live longer than anyone else, and the ones who are involved in the religious aspect of it tend to even live out longer than those. There's something to this interaction with people, particularly on a spiritual level, uh, face-to-face, and, and we've lost that in the country as communities tend to now be over-reliant on Washington. This, frankly, is another reason why I'm a conservative. I think that local communities are so important, but as we outsource and move more and more to Washington, D.C., our local communities fall apart. We no longer have to care about our next-door neighbor because we have someone in Washington to care for them. We have an outside faceless bureaucracy to care for them. And the data all more and more shows this is really not good for us as a society. In fact, it's really bad for us, and it is directly contributing to the increased use of drugs, alcohol, and and the increase in suicide. Really just fascinating, troubling data we all got to get a grip on. So just a quick pause here, word for our sponsors. Uh, And you know, this one, real world situation, I woke up Saturday morning and I had a bunch of text messages from Twitter, someone trying to change my password. Now, they all uh, connect me through my cell phone and using two-factor authentication. But man, uh, you got to worry about cyber crimes these days and people trying to steal your passwords, your credit card details. A buddy of mine went to China a while back and needed a VPN service because the Chinese are really, really snoopy. And he used ExpressVPN. And, you know, you can protect yourself from cyber criminals and Chinese snoops by using ExpressVPN. It secures and makes anonymous your internet browsing by encrypting your data. It hides your public IP address. It's got easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of your computer, your phone, your tablet. Turning on ExpressVPN protection only takes a click. And it's for less than $7 a month that you can get the same ExpressVPN protection that I have recommended to so many people. It's the rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar. It comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So protect yourself online today. Find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash Eric. That's E-X-P-R-E-S svpn.com slash Eric for three months free with a one-year package. And remember, my name is E-R-I-C-K. Go to expressvpn.com slash Eric to learn more. The phone number is 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She's given an interview, opened her mouth, said some interesting things. Here's one of them. I think it starts with each and every one of us trying our best. And trying our best doesn't mean that, for example, you have a coffee mug, you have a reusable mug. 
if you own a reusable mug, but let's say it's dirty from the day before, you go to the bodega, you get a paper mug, are you a bad person? No. Mm -hmm. um, but if you can use your, re your reusable mug one day a week, that's still a huge difference. And one of the reasons why I think that why we're advancing policies like a Green New Deal is because we need to, yes, each and every one of us step up individually, but we also need to fix our systems that make it harder for us to act individually. Now, wait, 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 wait. This is the woman who says that she's just living in the world as it is, so she didn't want to walk one block over and take a subway. She decided to take an Uber. You know, I have a trash chute right here on this door, but we don't have a recycling chute right here on that same door. <laughs> Wait, wait, so she doesn't recycle? So that means it's going to be fundamentally harder to recycle than it is to just toss whatever you want down that chute. Right. And so it's about empowering us to be making those individual choices by making our systems better. <laughs> but wait, 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 wait. She's not actually empowering the system. <laughs> She's tearing down every single building in the country. That That's actually her policy position she, she's not empowering anything she actually wants to tear down every building in the country that's in her plan wants to tear them all down and rebuild them and i guess she's going to put recycling shoots in basically uh, she's admitting that she's not going to do what she thinks needs to be done unless government forces her to do it and she doesn't think you will do it either unless government forces you to do it she has a very low view of you, but also of herself. She's not willing to put in the time and effort herself without being forced by the government. Hello there. The phone number here on Atlanta's Evening News, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Uh, let's see. I'm going to go to Brett calling from Woodstock. Welcome. Well, what about the impact that the uh, digital communication is having on the teenage pregnancy rate? It's going down, and I don't think it's because of the increase in morality. Yeah, you know, it's actually very interesting. There was a study out, I think I read it this morning, um, that uh, teens these days, their interest in uh, sex, pornography, uh, alcohol, drugs, it's all on decline. And interestingly enough, uh, one of the one of the factors that's causing that is teenage isolation, uh, which is somewhat counterintuitive uh, given all the other data out there. But uh, teenagers are interacting less and less. And while you can say there's some societal benefit because teen pregnancy is down, uh, and uh, the the consumption of drugs and alcohol are down and things like that, uh, what we're also finding is that uh, suicide rates are up and it all comes back to isolation uh, people feeling isolated. They, I, I gotta, I gotta read this data and think there, there's gotta be a role for churches. There's a life way, uh, you know, the, the publisher connected to the Southern Baptist, they released a study today that showed 70% of churches surveyed in the United States are on the decline uh, people not going, people dying, churches not regrowing. And what's so interesting about it is there's been a real big push in the country now for these mega churches. 
where I mean, you have roller coasters in the, in the front of the church practically. They, they got the Starbucks, the buffet, um, all of it. I, I read, saw something over the weekend that now there are some churches that are having beer on tap for for Sunday evening services to get people into the church. All these things to try to get people in, and they're not really nourishing people's souls per se. They're trying to keep them in the door, but they're, they're doing just like what online retailers do. You, you go, go on an online retailer, you go to Amazon or something, and you're looking for something and they're going to show you all sorts of related things. They think are going to keep you on the website buying stuff. That's pretty much what the church is doing. Um, they're not actually plugging you into your local community. They're not actually engaging you in your local community. And, and some churches have gotten so hard there. It's basically sink or swim. Hey, uh, we're going to do all these activities. You got to show up and, and God help you if you don't know anybody and the pastor's never going to know your name. It's society collapsing around us and it's deeply problematic. You know what else is problematic? Uh, Democrats in Washington on this emergency order by the president. I am I'm still of the mind that we don't need this emergency declaration. I'm somewhat baffled by the media coverage in the last 48 hours. The New York Times, the Washington Post, even the Texas Tribune, a liberal organization in Texas, are basically saying hey, this latest wave of immigrants is off the charts. We've never seen anything like it. Uh, th- they're really helping the president make his case for an emergency declaration. Uh, even if you got some Republicans in the Senate who are hesitant, but in the House of Representatives, the showboating from Democrats in the House, uh, they're just not serious at this point. Uh, listen to Representative uh, Barragan. I don't even know where this person's from. Uh, talking to Secretary Nielsen. Okay. Um, I want to turn to I want to turn to a, a slide that I have. Um, if we can put it up. There it is. You testified that asylum seekers are not being turned away at the ports of entry. Was that your testimony here today? They are not turned away. They are brought in. I'm not sure if you're talking about the migrant protection protocol, but in that case, any asylum seeker who comes to a port of entry, you, you basically have to make their claim. Okay. Well, let me tell you, Madam Secretary, either you're lying to this committee or you don't know what's happening at the border. And I have been there firsthand and I have seen it twice. More recently, it just happened on Saturday when I happened to be crossing the border with my mother. And I heard a gentleman say, I'm from Honduras, I want to apply for asylum. He was already at the turnstile at the Ped West entry. And the agent said, sir, unless you have a visa, you need to leave, you need to go away. They didn't say what you just said people do. They didn't say, here is where you go get on a list. They didn't say, here is the information where you go get access to counsel. As a matter of fact, I pulled out my phone, I started to record, and you know what, I was asked to stop recording. Why? Because they, they don't want the American people knowing what is happening. Wait, 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 wait. This is a member of Congress. Are you really telling me that a member of Congress was not allowed to record at the border? She has because you know the the national implications people are going to say, Where, "Where's the video?" You say, "Oh well, they wouldn't let me." Are you kidding me? That a, they wouldn't let a member of Congress record a member of Congress who was smart enough to pull out the phone and, and not live stream it on the internet. I don't believe this person. They're just they're trying to grandstand uh, to the Secretary of Homeland Security. They're trying to get sound bites out there, uh, and and they're trying to just like you got the Democrats in vote, investigating voter suppression in Georgia. They're making claims that just aren't true. But hey, I got it on video. But they mean man made me arrest, delete the footage, even though I'm a member of Congress. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Dana in Clarksville. Let's go to you next. Uh, welcome to the fall, uh, program, Dana. 
Thank you very much, Eric. Prayers for your family. Thank you. Thank you. I was just wondering, you know, this congressional investigation into the Georgia elections, could yes. it just be merely as simple as the fact that they want to keep Stacey Abrams in the in the public eye, keep her in the media? Undoubtedly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Listen, they, they are doing what they can. They are convinced that Georgia is purple. Uh, that Georgia's at play for the Democrats. They are convinced the Republicans in Georgia are sabotaging themselves with the Ralston scandal and, and the like. Uh, and they are convinced that they can keep Stacey Abrams in people's minds and, and help her either beat David Perdue or use her to help take the state from Donald Trump in 2020. Uh, so they keep they want to keep inflating these things. They want to use her as a fundraising mechanism for the Democrats. They want to do all these things. I, I got to tell you guys, though, it is beginning to fall on the deaf ears of Republicans in the state house of representatives just how much trouble they're in with David Ralston. The Democrats are going to use that issue. Look at how they're fanning the flames of voter suppression in Georgia, where there's no evidence. We got actually evidence of what David Ralston did. The Democrats are going to use it. All these Democrats telling Ralston behind the scenes, no, no, no. Interestingly enough today, by the way, it looked like the the fetal heartbeat legislation was going to make it through the House. It looked like Ralston was twisting arms to help it. And so the Democrats in the House came out, oh, we Ralston may need to go. And suddenly fetal heartbeat died. Uh, I, I mean, the, the Democrats, uh, they, they've, they've got part of David Ralston in a lockbox somewhere, and they're not letting it out except to do their bidding. And they're, they're going to get rid of him. For the election next year, they're going to use him in the campaigns. Can you imagine the victims in the campaign ads for the Democrats next year? The Republican so-and-so would not vote to oust David Ralston. I couldn't get justice because of it. Man, these are going to destroy the Republicans in the suburbs, and they don't care at this point because they have stuff they want passed and they know Ralston will kill the legislation. It is fascinating to watch a slow-moving suicide of the Republican Party in Georgia. That's exactly what this is. Oh, let's see here. James Langford, senator from Oklahoma. I want to play the soundbite from him because we're going to start hearing about this for the next few days. So in areas where there's a wall, you don't have this issue. They're crossing in between border areas, so you've got to have additional security. You've got to have uh, personnel. You have additional technology. And in some areas, urban areas especially, you've got to be able to have some kind of barrier there. But most of the border will yeah. never have a wall, and you don't need it. Uh, but we do need layers of security, just like you have layers of security probably getting into the building you're in. There are multiple layers of security of people in process that you have to go through. We'll have that at the border as right. well. Yes, uh, this is a this is a big issue, and the emergency resolution is headed to the Senate for disapproval. Rand Paul saying they may get over sixty Republican votes. White House beginning the pushback on this this evening. I'm told I'll have more about that tomorrow.